Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great collars, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtra.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona. August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at Kinetic Dog Food. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from mild to wild they'll come bring it to your place set it down on your pad hook up your power hook up your water and you can put dogs in it that day if you don't believe me check out some guys like uh, justin rigney's got a great setup there ask him check him out horizonstructures.com all right we are back working dog radio broadcasting the bite i am ted summers from tulsa oklahoma uh with me as always is eric stambro from canton ohio eric what's going on um, just sitting here, uh, reading, um, the update. One of the, a guy that I worked with at uh, my old police department just got shot. Um, at least shot at, it looks like, uh, his car. I don't know. It was, a is an undercover traffic stop. So of a, you know, warrant doper boy and he opened fire. I don't know all the details, but, um, the guy who sent me the stuff doesn't think he was hit, but somebody else said he was. So we'll see. I don't know, but they guess he's okay. So, Jeez. and it's dude. So there's a restaurant in the hood of of the city of Canton. It's a steak place. It's amazing. Nothing ever happens uh, there. I've been there. Yeah, nothing ever happens there. It's amazing. <laughs> um, but it's in the right in the hub of the worst gang in the city. And uh, my daughter and my parents went there for dinner Saturday night, and uh, he he got. The guy uh, bailed out, shot at the cops, ran into that fucking restaurant. <laughs> That's the thing, man. It's been there forever, but it is surrounded by nothing but murder and crime. So it's it's crazy. So anyways, uh, what's going on over there in Tulsa? You just did some work? Uh, yeah, it's hot, like super hot and uh, uncomfortably hot. We had a huge storm come through about 10 days ago. And it wasn't like a tornado or anything, but literally... Almost seventy percent of the city was out of power for over forty-eight hours, and then there's still people. And I'm we're over a week past, and there's still people that don't have power now. And it's it was crazy. I mean, and it was like a freak deal. Thankfully, the kennel didn't lose power, which is kind of nice. But uh, yeah, I finished up handler school. Um, I'm getting ready to start another one in about four weeks. Uh, finishing up these green dogs we have, and then I just did an e-collar seminar with the guys from Oklahoma City PD, and uh, we had 18 people there total. So it was like Oklahoma City PD, some of my guys from like Altus and um, the OBN and Cherokee and Comanche counties were there. Um, 
yeah, so it was good. And then I've got an admin course coming up uh, mid-July for some central Oklahoma departments. So right before we go to HITS and then right before I go to San Jose for an HRD. So cool. How, how, many, have, how, how many dogs does Oklahoma City have? Uh, they have eight. Yeah, they have That's eight. That's it? Yeah. Oh, wow. I think, they, I, think, I, I think they have a position for one. Mm-hmm. I think they're supposed to have nine, I think. And, but like somebody retired and they haven't gotten the replacement yet or something. Yeah, I, that's I don't know. small. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't ask. I didn't ask. Yeah. Fuck, my department has like 180 guys. We have seven dogs. So it's a pretty good high ratio. We're maybe a little, maybe we're the outliers, I guess. So no, it's not like Pasco County or something where yeah. <laughs> 7,000 dogs. Yeah. Well, it's June 29th, uh, tomorrow, June 30th is, uh, graduation test day. Cert- I have a handler class going on to the two guys that are in there state certain. There's another guy who's in for a handler course. I trained his dog back in 2016 or he's there for a trainer's course. So they all graduate tomorrow. And, uh, then two guys are coming from out of town to get recerted. So, um, I'm always, I'm always impressed with guys that will come from out of town, not knowing really anybody and not knowing who the evaluator is and just having the confidence in their dog. They're going to come down and fucking bang it out real quick. I, I, am always impressed by that. Um, cause that's a rarity. Everybody kind of knows who the guy is, you know, and they've, and the guy has seen the dogs multiple times. So, but anyways, that's what that'll be tomorrow. And that's, uh, that's nice. But then I'm back to seven days a week at the pet facility. I'm opening a new location in Pittsburgh. Ridgeside Canine Pittsburgh, which will go live here, like, fuck, maybe tomorrow. Um, I don't have a facility. It'll just be trainers for the time being. But I have a feeling that location could end up being my retirement at some point. That should be pretty lucrative. Excellent. I'm hoping. But uh, meanwhile, seven days a week. Anyway, so. Um, All right. So with us tonight, let's get to our guest. Uh, So. I was on as a guest on his podcast, uh, April, somewhere around there, and uh, maybe May. And uh, we, I didn't get to really talk. I didn't really talk much about K9 in there a little bit. I just went on my anti admin rant, um, which to, to his credit, he did defend some solid dudes towards the end. But uh, and then we shit talked shit cops. So that was pretty good. Um, but with us from <laughs> street cop training, street cop training.com street cop, uh, podcast is Dennis Benino. What's up, buddy? How are you? I appreciate you boys having me on here. Street cop training is, is, I don't, I don't, you guys have been around for a minute, but it's blown up recently, you know, social media helps. But, um, so I was reading over your bio started, uh, as a, in corrections. Um, how horrible was that? I would rather hump shit out of outhouses <laughs> for half the pay and twice the heat than to ever do that again. Yeah, I always tell when I when I somebody asks me, would you rather do it? I'm like, I would rather be human trafficked than do what you're talking about. Um, it's miserable. Like everybody's like, oh, it's a it's a step. It's a step in. No, no, it isn't. Um, uh, so then you went over to the U.S. Park Police and then moved on to a pretty a prominent agency in New Jersey. What was the, do you, did you like the park police? You regret leaving no. there? Are you glad you left there? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a, it was a sinking ship the second I walked in, but it was better than corrections. But, uh, you know, I still have a lot of friends there. My friends are all high command staff now, and it's just as a disaster, if not more of a disaster than it once was. And um, I just wasn't sticking around in a sinking ship when I had other options. Plus, the one kicker for me was the pension, the federal pensions, complete dog shit. And I was like, yeah, I'm not sticking around to get 33% in 25 years. Really? 33? Wow. 33%. 25 years. Yeah, it is crazy. So I, if I remember right, I might be wrong, but I thought I remembered like late 90s, early 2000s that the park police were a little progressive and they were doing a lot of good work. Um, but like anything, you know, it gets bogged down and fucked up. Um, I think their helicopters now are doing most of the presidential shit when he's around Washington. Um, other than that, they don't use them. Well, the actual helicopters are used quite a bit. One of my friends uh, flies there. It's actually two of my friends, two of my coworkers, uh, classmates from the academy. And uh, they use them quite a bit. But uh, from my understanding is the bird stays down quite a bit because uh, they did not forecast that they would need pilots. So nobody was sent to pilot school out of the, out of the, uh, you know, out of the rank and file. So it takes a long time to get your helicopter's license, apparently. And I mean, I don't know how many thousands of hours you have to do, but a lot. And so they're still waiting on people to graduate because nobody had the foresight, of course, good old command staff to actually send somebody to the training. Uh, so they made sure they had staff for to fly the helicopter. So they're low on pilots. I know that's the problem. Well, correct me. If, I mean, who else is going to fly it? Well, they, <laughs> send, like, they, send, they send cops, right? They, so like, like people, they'll put a selection yeah. process out. And, you know, you got oh just 600 cops in the uh, in the agency there. And typically they actually found a few guys that flew helicopters in the military when I got on in 04. And uh, I, I, I guess those guys may have retired since then. But those guys were Black Hawk helicopter pilots that came became cops at U.S. Park Police. And, you know, again, I mean, anybody can fly a helicopter. You just got to go to the training. Yeah. So I was just in Maryland doing a... Um doing an e-collar seminar and one of the big agencies there uh, flies helicopters and they're like, Hey man, you want to come, come ride along. And I, I went out for a ride along with them in the helicopter and uh, the presidential motorcade was moving. As you know, it's such a ridiculous fucking thing, man, when this guy is moving and uh, the helicopter, they were was park police were doing it. And um, the the agency that I was flying with are down to one or two guys. Like for whatever reason, it's not that nobody wants to be a helicopter pilot. They just again, like you said, they don't project and think, oh hey, you know this guy might leave at some point. And you might need a replacement. Well, typically you don't make your way to the top if we're going to that admin level because you are a problem solver and a leader. <laughs> Let's face facts. Sometimes they squeak through and you get some real some real winners at the top. But overall, if you gave these people my business, they'd probably destroy it in about five weeks. They would smash this thing to pieces because there's no funding. You actually have to earn money. Yeah, they. Um, it's funny. Uh, we have an, at my old department, they have a new chief. He's been there, I don't know, a year. But uh, the previous chief has like three bankruptcies in his personal history. He's just a real piece of shit. And um he became chief, and that's the thing. They, but they all act like it's their money, which is mind-boggling for me with administrators that that deny overtime, 
and deny the use of like tactical assets when needed because of overtime. And it's like, you're a sergeant. What do you give a shit about a cop making fucking overtime? Especially in the northeast part of this country with unions. You know what I mean? It's not like you're a fiduciary employee in, in Tennessee making $14 an hour. They they can pay you overtime. And so the there's no, as you know, there's almost no training for admins to run budgets. Like zero. It's the next guy. What's this? There's almost no training for admins, period. Tell me, tell me where you go to school to learn how to lead. <laughs> I'd love to hear it. I, I know, I know, we have a course, but outside of that, tell me where you go to school. You, you go, mm. you go to listen to some dude who's fifteen, twenty years retired. He has the start of Alzheimer's, and he's teaching you about discipline and how to have progressive records of of suspending people, so you can make sure you fi- get him, get him ready to fire them. Yeah, real good training, real good, uh, real good leadership schools we got here in this law enforcement world. Amazing. Yeah, and the guy teaching is wearing. Uh... He's wearing uh, cargo pants pulled up so that his nuts look like a huge butt in the front of his pants. Um, I I don't get it. Like the fire the term instructors, yeah, fupa or front butt or whatever. <laughs> no, it's called a moose knuckle, Eric. Moose knuckle, yeah. <laughs> uh, those guys are on the range usually. The moose knuckle dudes are usually on the on the range. It's like, yeah, you retired forty years ago. Why do you have a police pin on, and why are you still teaching? the the shooting portion of it so anyways um we can bitch about that stuff all all night so you're working at the agency or at the the in new jersey and obviously you're you're seeing deficiencies and problems and everything like that um tell us tell us about how street cop was born like where did that all come from you know i think that i just wasn't scared to try to help and i thought that i had some real solutions for some very real problems and you know i think that recognizing as i learned and progressed in my career and as a field training officer and somebody who was really figuring things out quite a bit much better than the status quo I, uh, I I felt like I could help a lot more people more than just field training one guy every six months or one girl every six months. And essentially started taking notes about the things that I noticed on the road and things that were important for people to know in the beginning, in the middle, and at the end. Uh, but overall, tactics that we were doing wrong, people's complete lack of understanding or knowledge of case law, which was literally the rules. So we're all playing this game, but nobody knows what the rules of the game are because nobody's reading it or discussing it. So everybody's shooting from the hip, making taking guesses. Prosecutors are clueless. It's a it's a friggin' disaster. So the stuff that was taught in a essentially a prep course for promoting to sergeant, lieutenant, captain in New Jersey was basically all case law. And when I sat through the first time in 2008, going through that prep course. I was flabbergasted this stuff existed. Nobody ever told me it existed. Nobody ever discussed it in three police academies. And it was the answer to everything I ever wanted to know about it, being a cop. And once I started reading case law, I was empowered with confidence to make decisions that were maybe never even seen before, never heard of, but completely supported by precedent and decisions from the court. And a lot of pushback on stuff like that, but I, I always could fall back on on the opinions and uh, prove why I was doing what I was doing was a hundred percent compliant under the constitution. 
<laughs> yeah, Ted. Uh, Ted is a big um, like delves into the uh, case law stuff, and we were talking about to uh, a big, huge national organization about maybe doing some stuff with them, and I, I said. I think there should be a test part part. There should be a written test with the canine certification and just ask them the three prongs of Graham and most guys will fail it. And I told Ted, pick a couple other, you know, case law that you could use, you know, in the test. It was like, like only like three that you really needed that you, that, I mean, there's a lot more than that, but like three that we could have put in there. And I'm telling you, most of them would fail it and not know it. Yeah, you know, it's one of the questions that Eric and I get a lot on social media, whether it's for whatever or emails and everything else, is people are like, hey, I'm interviewing for a canine position and what do I need to know? And both Eric and I kind of give them like a couple paragraph like explanation about these are the cases I want you to know. This is what you should know. And the joke that I tell people when I do this in my admin courses and I say these dogs only job if used improperly is to violate people's fourth amendment for unreasonable search and or unreasonable seizure through excessive force that re so literally every time we get these dogs out there is a chance of that that and because of that we have a very very like well-defined structure that these dogs are deployed in and it some of it doesn't make sense like logically doesn't make sense so and a lot of it has to do with you know between depending on which side we're looking at between the 30 or 35 years worth of case law. And I'm routinely shocked at the number of administrators that do not know what their dogs are doing. Don't know what their handlers don't know what they should be doing. And it, it routinely shocks me. And I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I'm doing a, a advent course next month for first departments in central Oklahoma. And that's a lot of what I talk about. I like the uh, the myth in Oklahoma that people seem to can't get over the hump that you don't have to do something called a trooper two step, <laughs> but uh, and I've proven that I don't know sixty five hundred fucking times in that state, and still I get people who are like, well we know but that you don't have to, but like they say that we always did it that way, and I'm like that's cool, but you guys look like fucking dummies. Number two, the courts when they're savvy enough are recognizing this is more of a coercive behavior or a psychological ploy. And they don't like it. They don't like this disengage, walk back, turn the lights off and try to create a consensual encounter roadside with you and just another car on the side of the road to try to create a consensual encounter. Um, so if you know case law, just so anybody from Oklahoma is listening, you guys follow the Supreme Court. You don't depart from it. And anything that the Supreme Court says Oklahoma can follow. That's that's the mm -hmm. Oklahoma Trooper two step. It's a thing. Oh, it's, it's a Kansas, it's, it's a Kansas yeah, two, okay. it's called a trooper two step. It's used in, uh, I mean, it's Illinois. It's a big myth. These are big states, uh, Kansas, Oklahoma. These are the states that they think, and it's so funny because like we'll have a class and I'm like, we'll have 150 people in the class. I'm like, who thinks you have to tell somebody they're free to go to get lawful consent? And, you know, somebody will say, well, you know, half the room will raise their hands and I go, who doesn't and gets consent all the time and it's never challenged. And, you know, half the other room's like, we don't fucking yeah. do that. I'm like, so let me ask you this question. If half the rooms from Oklahoma and half the other half the rooms from Oklahoma and half do it and don't, and, and, I'm sorry, half don't do it and have no issue with it, why do you think you have to do it? Don't you think somebody picked up on this on something that's such a basic thing that we repeat over and over again? So why weren't their cases challenged? I mean, 70 people just raised their hands. You think at least one of them would have had something challenged if they knew that the consent was improper because that's the first thing they try to challenge is a consensual procedure. 
And uh, they're like, we don't know, but that's the way we're told to do things. I'm like, well, that's why you all need to read case law. So you stop depending on idiots to tell you how to do your job because it's chock full of idiots. This whole this whole profession is just packed with them, packed with them. Yeah. And most of them were hired in 91 or 92, 93. And they're still around bullying. The 90s were wild. Rank bullying people. Because <laughs> uh, I travel all over the country just like you do doing seminars. And Ted t- travels around. And I start talking to people. And they're like, yeah, man, like this chief or this captain or major hates my guts from something from 20 years ago or 15 years ago. He fucks with me nonstop. I'm like, is he like 60? Like was hired, you know, in that that. 91 92 and they're like yeah how do you know i go because all them motherfuckers are like that all of them paybacks rank bullying bullshit that they that these guys do it's 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 an epidemic with them i would love all of them should be gone they should all be retiring now but uh hopefully they didn't pass it on too much so at street cop you guys got a you got a bunch of experts right you got a bunch of smes going around you doing these seminars and everything like that I'm sure in the beginning it was probably mostly you, and I know you still travel and do a lot of it. Uh, what was the first topic that you were like, ah, I need somebody and I need to expand and bring another guy in for this? You know, it's, I don't think there was a certain topic. It's when I came across somebody, I was like, oh, this motherfucker's got to teach his stuff. Like, this dude's good. And, you know, it, sometimes it takes a little convincing. You know, now it's less convincing because it's very lucrative. Uh, so, but, you know, but. Essentially, I'm always looking for somebody who's an expert in something. I mean, we got a guy coming out. He's a he's going to he's a really well-known dude who teaches smaller agencies how to do crime scene processing because like in these most of these small cities and small towns and these, you know, country rural areas, the patrolman's responsible for processing crime scenes. So it's not a class that's meant for everybody, but um, you know, you'd be surprised for 60% of the cops out there that's part of their patrol duties to dust for prints, collect DNA evidence. They don't have a tech team that they send out and they're not always getting the state to come out and process a crime scene. A lot of times it falls on them. So he's putting together a really nice program. We got a guy doing pedestrian stop, pedestrian bicycle stops. So that's coming out the free class. We usually run a free one to work out the kinks and the bugs before we charge money for it. Uh, he's got just nonstop videos of what he looks for when people are, you know, pedestrians who are wanted up to no good. Bike on um, bikes wanted up to no good. He shows the body language, behavior, the contacts, the laws that we use to effectuate uh, lawful investigative detention. And it's amazing what he gets, man, because these people think that cops aren't going to bother. And, and 99% of cops don't bother with anybody on a bike or a pedestrian because they're, they don't know what to do. They don't know what to look for. And, and basically this whole thing has just been one big systemic failure of training. The whole thing. It's rare that you come across something that's useful. I mean, I went to three academies and I, I, I got to give credit to the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center. I really learned how to drive well there, and that was actually something that I could use. That that training, the driving training there was excellent, and I actually got to give it to them as well. Their moving and shooting and shooting courses were great. I thought they were excellent for, for basic what we did, like officer down shooting, low light shooting, uh, high intensity shooting training, uh, move and shoot. This was good stuff, but everything else was pretty much bullshit, and... Uh, then my third, my first and third academy were complete garbage. They didn't teach you. You didn't learn a goddamn thing. It was, it was literally a joke. I mean, it was tough. They were they were very very paramilitary. It was the homework two hours a night, the shine in the shoes, the bick in the head, the whole night. It was like a, it was like lunacy for six months. But um, <laughs> you didn't learn a fucking thing. But I got to tell you, our our academy graduation was 
for five minutes, we really did put a, put a hell of a show on. We trained for that for about 25 hours. So it was good. We for a five minute show that we never marched again in our lives. So it was important. <laughs> That's funny. Um, is New Jersey, uh, how, how's the academy system set up there? Is it, uh, is it like you could go to a college place to do it? Or is there just like, <laughs> there's 10 places that have academies and that's it. Uh, so you got 10, you know, I think, I don't know how many police academies they have left because I think at some point a lot of them weren't, I forgot what happened. They cracked down on who could do recruits. So let's call it 10 academies. And you know, they, nobody's in line with each other. Nobody talks to each other. Everybody's got their own little castle. They don't get along and nothing really, you know, is listen, some of them are great. You know, some of the, uh, let me say this, the personnel at these academies are pretty good guys, but you know, they're still just failing on so many levels. I mean, you get, they just, they don't have enough people to teach. These people are just brought in. They have no idea what they're talking about. These you know, a lot of these academy instructors have never really been cops. Some of them are like our sheriff's officers here don't really do police work. Then they then they're teaching recruits and talking about like police work, but they've done almost none of it. Uh, so there's a big systemic failure. It's a disaster. Can in New Jersey, can people come in as open enrollment without a, already having a gig? Can they pay their way through? You can, but it's called alternate route. and There's a selection process for that. And it's very, very difficult to get in. It's just as hard as trying to get on the job here and, and you know it's I, I don't know exactly how they're essentially going through the selection process for that i'm sure some of it's nepotism politics there's no doubt in my mind um and then i know people who get in you know on on their own on their own way without knowing anybody uh and like every other state right now for the first time in the history of this state we are actually hurting for cops oh yeah yeah, um, I don't. I don't know anywhere that's not right now, or I haven't heard anywhere that's not. I mean, you got you got agencies here settling contracts for patrolmen are making one hundred ninety thousand dollars a year base pay, and they're still hurting for cops. Wow, that's crazy. Is it? Uh, so I, I retired in two thousand and eighteen, and my top three years were sixty three thousand. That's it. <laughs> that sucks. And with. 200 critical incidents in my career, you know, all the, all the shit. Um, I, I started in 1996 at my agency and I made a 13, 10 an hour, 11, 10 an hour. I can't remember in 96. It's not that, it's not that, uh, long ago. I, I got in my first shooting in 99 shot and killed a dude. I was making like 15 bucks an hour in 1999 in, in a, in a very crime ridden city there. Now, now those guys are making more. You know, they got some raises. It used to take us 18 years to top out, which is insane. Um, now they cut that way down to making some money. But um, we're going to go ahead and take our first break. Uh, we come back. We got a bunch of other stuff to talk to Dennis about. And uh, so stick around, guys. Uh, don't fast forward through the commercials. I know you will because uh, that's what I do. But uh, check out the uh, show notes in the bottom, discount codes, and almost everything that we have in there. Um, there's some really, really good people that have been with us for a long time. So, uh, stick around. We'll be right back. All right. One of the largest conferences in the country, uh, hits canine training conference. It's America's premier canine training seminar packed to the brim with the world's best instructors and me and Eric all covering important topics. There is no better place to learn and no better place to network 
with other handlers, breeders, trainers, and vendors. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. We'll see everybody there. Largest law enforcement training conference in the world. Tons of training classes. Lots of training topics for everybody and everything. Hours included and more network opportunities. Be sure to hit up Jeff Barrett at 863-529-5113. Hits K9, letter K number nine dot net. And at hits underscore K9 and all of your socials. One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, Performance Dog Food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level, better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they considered to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year. Winter's different than summer. It's uh, it's really a well-run, good dog food um, company, kineticdogfood.com. Be sure to check them out on social media too, man. They're, they're amazing folks, kineticdogfood.com. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars. Different cars, man. Dodge Chargers, all the Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American aluminum accessories. Um, it's a great product, a great company. They've been serving uh, canine law enforcement community for over 20 years. If you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZRiderOnline.com. They got testimonials. They got videos on how to. They got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys. EZRiderOnline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car. Get a hold of them, American Aluminum Accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FL FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to tactical police canine training, that's letter K number nine training.com and use the discount code WDR30, you'll get 30% off of that course. 
All right, everybody, we're back with Dennis Menino from Street Cop Training. Um, Dennis was not a canine guy. He says, I don't know shit about the dogs. That's why he has other people that do it. Who um, The Red Ninjas episode was just out. When was that, Ted? About a month ago, three, three, three weeks ago? How do you, um, so doing, talking in front of an academy class is one thing for some guys talking in front of a, in a hotel, you know, a little area of 50 people is one, is another thing. Getting guys to speak in front of a thousand people, 150, 600, whatever, 1500. I saw the one video the other day. How do you do that, man? How do you get a guy like these are cops, you know what I mean? And they're probably would fail speech class in college because they can't talk in front of people. How do you groom or build these guys up to get them to where you got them? You know, the one thing that's nice about this industry of law enforcement training is when we find instructors, they're usually the cream of the cop, uh, sorry, the cream of the crop. So I don't have to do much work with them except maybe a little polishing. Some of these guys come, they're already existing instructors. They've done it for so long. They're so comfortable and so used to it. And I think everybody gets the jitters a little bit for the first couple minutes in front of 1,500 people at our conference and probably next year, 2,500, I'm guessing. But I think that we are just all so used to public speaking at this point that it doesn't matter if we're talking to 10 people or 1,500 people. We know our program programs so well. They're so well-versed in them and they're so flawless with them because they care so much. And they are perfectionists. They are the guys and girls who cared so much about this profession and put so much energy and effort into it that they became masters of their craft in the, in the area that they went down. So, you know, to, it just seems to be the evolution of somebody who just cares so much and is so convicted on what they believe that they would just almost have the confidence and the pleasure to talk in front of that many people. But, you know, it, 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 you get the jitters a little bit, uh, I don't need more. I used to years and years ago. Nothing really bothers me. I get a more of a rush now. I get excited to uh, entertain 1,500 people. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think that you just get used to it, and I don't think it's that big of a deal once, you, once you've, you've done it. Do you have a song to come out to? <laughs> this year we did uh, Started From the Bottom, Now We're Here. Started from the bottom. Now the whole crew is here. That's that was that was my song. Everybody's got a song to come out to. Usually the keynote speakers like this year we had Kyle Carpenter and uh, Tommy Laren again, and then we had um, all the three major sheriffs: Mark Lamb, David Clark. Uh, we had uh, uh, we had all sorts of people. Um, who else do we have for keynotes? Um, it's it's a little late, so my brain's uh, now had a real productive day. But I have to look at my list. Do you have Latrell in them? We we had uh, we had Latrell, Tim Kennedy, Dakota Meyer. Uh, yeah, we Dakota had Tommy Larry. That was the first conference. Uh, second one we had, like I said, Kyle Carpenter. We had we had Mark Lamb, David Clark, Wayne Ivy, Sheriff Wayne Ivy. We had uh, Jason Redman. We had. Tommy Laren again. I, I know I'm missing somebody, but I, just because, guys, if you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I'm just, I started at 5 a.m. today and it's 9 30 at night and I had a fucking hmm. busy day. I didn't stop. So, my bad if I'm missing the one or two people that I, that I forgot to mention that were keynote speakers. Yeah. 
That's cool. They, uh, these guys can go check it out. So one thing that happened to me when I started doing this uh, dog business, and I don't think it's ha- happened to Ted yet, but it's going to happen to Ted, is um, I hired uh, cops to train dogs for me, you know, just pet dogs. And um, they're making money, money, more money than they did before. They can, you know, a lot of them will sit around with a clicker food and flip flops and make really good money. And I've had several of them quit law enforcement and come to work for me full time. To me, that uh, it's uh, that's their choice or whatever. It stresses me out like big time because there's a guy with a pension possibly a pension these guys were young but working a guaranteed job with insurance and then they quit which made them significantly happier i've only had one guy go back to police work and i think he was kind of um, family pressure to to do that but have you had that yet have you had guys that just quit kind of like you did and got out and what how was that with in your head no i mean people are retiring we, you know we're we're at that age now where a lot of guys who are in their 40s are hitting retirement age. It's weird because I feel like I'm 19. Uh, but, you know, mm-hmm. significantly across, you know, generally across the board, most of our instructors are late 30s, early 40s, mid 40s. A few little bit older, a few little bit younger. But that's right about where we all land. Uh, I don't think anybody has any intention of going back once they leave. And not to start a whole conversation about it, but when you really understand money, and you really understand how the world works and what pensions are, and you are probably smarter than the average bear. Uh, if, if you're one of those people, probably having a steady job is is tormenting. And once you discover what your potential likely could be, and in, for other people, it's a perfect fit. It's exactly what they need to ensure they have a little bit of money going into their retirement. Um, but you know, overall, I think that I'm making it pretty clear to every instructor that we have what a what a real plan looks like, not depending on the government to keep you floating for the remainder of your years, because everybody in New Jersey depended on the government until the government turned their fucking back on it when Chris Christie was in office and literally just whatever pension you signed up for, you could have been 15 years in and they all they just changed everything about it. So. Everybody who had plans, all those plans changed pretty goddamn quickly, and they went and protested and all this other bullshit, and it did nothing. So just to understand that people think that a government job is a secure job, in reality, it's probably one of the most unsecure jobs that you could you could ever have. Uh, and it's explained significantly better by Robert Kiyosaki in a book called, um, well, two books, but anything by Rich Dad, Poor Dad, Robert Kiyosaki's first book was... Uh, uh, rich Dad, Poor Dad, What the Rich Teach Their Kids About Money. And the second one is Cash Flow Quadrant. And then a third one that's a good one I'll throw in there. It's written by a guy named uh, Wheelwright, Tom Wheelwright. And it's about, it's called Tax-Free Wealth. There's a version one and version two. So I think everybody should, no matter if you're, ju- you're going to be a W-2 employee, I think you should learn about how money works and how the W-2 employee gets the shit end of the stick and pays the most taxes nonstop. So while you think you're secure, you are getting your butt kicked while the rest of us who are 1099s, independent contractors, LLCs, CEOs, enjoy the fruits of deferred tax payments, deductions, and uh, essentially live a cheaper life and make more money. Yeah. uh, 1099s, man, are killers. (laughs) Guys work complete extra jobs on the police department, and then they forget at the end of the year they get a 1099 for like $25,000, and we're not ready for that. Um, So 
Ted and I, I'm glad you put those books out there. We'll, uh, we'll see if we can't get uh, Brian. He's listening. He's like, motherfucker. See if we can't get him to pull up the links on that and put it in the show notes. So Ted and I, you know, we're just knuckle dragon scumbags, you know, running businesses now that, that are doing pretty well. Um, did you know, like when you were in, in there and you decide you're leaving, going to go start, like for me, the biggest, biggest punch in my face is when we, I grew enough to have a quite a big payroll. And I was like, man, this like every two weeks, this amount of money comes out. I'm ready to fucking jump out the window. Like, how'd you dive into just mitigate all that and become, listen, I'm a businessman now. And this is what the fuck we do. Constant education. I am nonstop obsessed with learning how to grow, maintain and manage and lead businesses. And I spend an ungodly amount of time weekly in podcasts and books and YouTube videos on those who do it best. Uh, and then I'll also pepper in people who live life the way that I admire to, or I, I wish to live my life as well. Um, so all those things help me grow significantly faster, maintain, and also know that when shit hits the fan, it's kind of par for the course and it's supposed to be on the map. And I'll be honest with you, at this stage of the game that I'm at right now, it's very, very, very difficult because of the size that it has grown to. And this is a whole new set of skills that I am rapidly trying to figure out. And, you know, we hold our own. We can, we can, we, you know, we're a contender for sure. But for me right now, I, I really want to make sure that we continue to expand and, and to our full growth of the things we have to do. But it's very, very, one thing's having three, four guys. One thing's being yourself. Another thing's having 50 plus instructors in the field, you know, and essentially 16 full-time employees and five part-time employees. So it's, and, and on top of that, having three to four significant outside shit going on in your world that you have to manage. And those things include attorneys. <laughs> it's hard. It's not easy. No, yeah, attorney, think, uh... attorneys are super, super not cheap. <laughs> Did you, like, what, what? Like, yeah, like, dude, when's the last time, like, I'll, I'll be honest with you, like, when's the last time you guys, and I'm not trying to talk shit, I'm just saying in general that everybody's listening, like, when's the last time you don't make as much money as people think you make, and, like, you had to part with, I don't know, somewhere in the ballpark of a million dollars in about 18 months to yeah, pay never. legal fees. Right. Yeah. Over nothing. Yeah. Oh, basically. Yeah. So it's a very daunting thing to figure out how you're going to figure this shit out, because it's very, you know, like, you're riding high in April, shot down in May, like yep, Frank Sinatra said. Um, so before we take our next break, uh, cause I mean, people follow you, they can, they know, uh, you, you put a lot of, uh, stuff up there when you're at your, um, when you're at your conferences or when you're even teaching where canine related, what are questions you get from guys, case law questions that, that routinely come up? I don't think that canine handlers, if we're talking about that, need to know anything more than what everybody else is already supposed to know. So everybody should know the same thing. And if you take a one day case law class or a proactive patrol, um, sorry, I'm outside and these fucking bugs are getting a little interesting now. Uh, proactive patrol, you will learn more about case law in those courses than 99% of cops in the United States of America. And, you know, I, I think that that's the most important thing. I think a few things canine handlers need to know is one, you don't know everything and stop pretending like you do. 
Number two, let's deploy a little humility and listen to what other people have to say about what they think and not be so steadfast in what you're fucking, what you believe. Nobody has a consistent answer across the board in the canine industry. Everybody's got their own, roll the windows up. Don't roll the windows up. Do this. Have people out of the car. You can leave them in the car. Right? Like, you need a warrant for the car. You don't need a warrant. We can't sniff the car if it's past this. You can't sniff if it's past this. What? They just, nobody, just so just my advice to anybody's listening, who is a canine handler is, we appreciate canine handlers so much, but like, you know, have some humility and always be willing to learn because for some odd reason, I have met more guys who are lieutenants and sergeants of canine units that think they know what they're talking about when it comes to the law and are fucking clueless. And then when they get called out on it, they get very defensive because they're the canine lieutenant. <laughs> so, Ted, uh, what does your uh, your admin class look like? Uh, what, what is it mostly case law stuff that you have to deal with? So, yeah, it is. It's two days. Uh, it's a day and a half of in a classroom, and then I do a half day in the field. Um, and I have one of our state certifiers come over and do an actual state certification or what, or what it looks like. And we talk about all that stuff, but, um, I kind of break it up into like sections of utility and address all of that stuff, um, individually, whether it's like, then we talk about tracking stuff. We talk about narcotics. We talk about explosives. We talk about apprehension stuff. We talk about the FSLA side. The FSLA side is fairly large. And the, the the joke, and we've talked about this on here, I think before, but I mean, I think every police department in the country has tried to find a way to fuck over their canine handlers at some point in their history and that they don't have to pay them extra time. And it, 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 it shocks me that that is still a thing. And I, I dealt with it the other day, like a week ago, I had a handler call me and he was like, well, they're, they're giving me shit about my over, my, not my overtime, my, my canine time. I'm like, dude, I think every department in the country has tried to find a way not to pay this. And it's not like it's a ton of extra money anyway, which we talked about this a minute ago. Like they act like it's their money and it's not. And so I, I, that is one thing that, and I tell them, I say, you know, a majority of the case law stuff in canine was not generated by people with leashes in their hands. It's people with stripes and shiny shoes. And, you know, and now with the, advent after Eric, you know, from very familiar with us versus Canton, but kind of the downstream side of that is there's been a lot of, a lot more failure to train, um, arguments for both apprehension and detection. Um, and we've seen kind of the inevitable outcome of that fairly recently. And I, it's just kind of one of those things is I get it. Canine is tiny, but they are disproportionately put in the highest instance to make a mistake that causes a fourth amendment problem. And that requires a little bit of extra attention. They are also probably the best cost that you can use to, you know, find stuff and catch bad guys. And then one of the most cost effective things, in fact, um, one of the Florida departments has an entire study that they did on about how much time it saves. Um, and it was a large percentage just having canine. They broke it up by crime, by time, by location, all kinds of everything else. But so, you know, you have an asset that's very valuable and can save your department a lot of time and save you a lot of man hours, but it requires some attention. And that is kind of the balance that we're that we teach. So when I do it, I kind of try to present it in a way that it's like, this is the best practices and this is what it looks like. And this is how it should be. And blah, blah, blah. So yeah, if you're an administrator and you're like, jump in and go ahead. Good. 
there's just two things that uh, it kind of prompted when you said this. Two two big myths that I hear from people who gripe about their canine handlers. So let me just put it out there for the canine handlers uh, going forward. Number one, I suggest that you get very familiar with United States versus Sharp 1985 because yeah. <laughs> when you when a guy calls you to sniff a car and you're 25 minutes away, that is still legal <laughs> to detain that car with enough reasonable suspicion. Guess what? Most states agree that it's about two hours of time you have to get somewhere to sniff a car. Uh, number two, when we call you and say we need a dog, you're not a case law expert. You're not a judge. So please don't ask us what we have out there and if you're going to be the judge of how much reasonable suspicion we have to detain the car. Who the fuck are you to determine whether or not? Why should I have to over the phone explain every little thing i haven't even written my report yet and you want you want details you want me to you want me to on body worn camera mvr start explaining what the reasonable suspicion is when i haven't even explained it to the bad guy because i'm not required to yet so i've called agencies we didn't have a dog and i've called agencies and i'm like hey uh, i'm like hey it's you know so and so we're looking for a dog you guys have your dog working and they're like what do you got out there i'm like we got a car that needs to get sniffed and like one lieutenant's like no no what do you got i'm like a car that's on the side of the road on a traffic stop that needs to get sniffed by a dog that smells for drugs. He's like, what is the stop about? I go, it's about drugs possibly being in a car. <laughs> and he's like, who, who, who the fuck are you again? And I'm like, bro, are you sending this dog out here or not? Because I'll call another agency because I'm not, dude, I don't even know who you are. And I should know who you are. If you're in this game, you're two towns away from me. I've never heard your name in my life. And if you think I'm going to start reciting reasonable suspicion, which you have no fucking idea what you're talking about over the phone, so you send a dog out here, you're out of your goddamn mind. And are you sending a dog or not? And he hung up the phone on me, and I said, fine, we'll call another clip. My point is this. It's like, <laughs> you have a job. When patrol division or somebody calls you to support them for a car sniff, all your job to do is not determine whether or not we have enough reasonable suspicion. You're not held liable because you're not, you didn't have knowledge of it. You respond to the scene, you take your dog out, you walk it around the car, you write your report that's supplemental to ours and say the dog alerted here or the dog did not alert and whatever else you got to do. We don't, need, we don't need to be reciting to you the reasonable suspicion we have on the side of the road. That is not your decision to make unless you're their supervisor. That's a whole different thing. But most of the guys aren't the supervisor showing up. That drives me fucking bonkers that you have to try to explain yourself. We had a, you know, like, dude, we had, yeah, we had a guy who got a dog here and it was from an agency that doesn't do any police work, but they had an available dog. So he pulls up, he's like, what do you guys got? And I'm like, a car that needs to get sniffed. He's like, yeah, but what happened? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Just fucking take the dog out and walk the dog around. The you know how to sniff a car? He goes, yeah, I go, and me explaining to you is making no difference. You don't even know what a traffic stop is. Just walk the fucking dog around the car. That's it. Let me know if dog alerts. If he doesn't, we'll kick this guy loose. That's it. We're at, the, we're, at, we're at the end here. He's denying consent. We think it's loaded. Just walk the dog around. You know what I mean? Like, come on, dude. Yeah. Like, what do we do? Like, why am I have to recite factual data to you to determine whether or not you're going to pull that fucking German shepherd out and walk that motherfucker around? Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's a thing. Uh, guys will go right over the radio. They'll ask. I, I used to tell my guys, do not tell people no over the fucking radio. You know, hey, we need you over here for a track. Uh, why? Where'd he go? How many? Just fucking go. Fuck out of here, dude. You know I had a conversation yesterday. Just I show up. guys all the time. Never say no. Yeah. Never I'll say no. Give it a shot. That's my, it was always my thing. We'll give it a shot. Yeah. It, and bro, it's like, four like, days late and uh, you know what I mean? Whatever, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. You know, yeah, dude. Listen, man. Um, I mean, like everybody likes the the canine guy who's the best. Like we do. We had, by the way, I'm I'm making a grudge out one time and another guy one time for the many times that we called dogs to use them. 
most canine guys are fantastic. They are. Yep. I'll, I'll give credit where credit's due. My friend Glenn is a, was a canine guy for the state police. I called him three o'clock in the morning one night. I go, where you at? He's like, dude, is there no other dog closer? I'm like, well, there's not. He's like, I'm in Atlantic City. I'm like, <laughs> I, I'm like, what time do you work? So he's like, till six. And it was 3 a.m. And I said, how, how long till you get here? And he said, bro, he's like, I mean, I can run it. You know, he's like, maybe, maybe an hour 15 to where you're at. And I said, we'll be waiting. And he's like, you, you, you're sure, right? And I go, bro, there's nobody else. And this, this car is loaded. And it was, thank God he came because the car was really loaded. And mm -hmm. uh, he, dude, we sat there and the guy's like, how long till the dog gets here? I'm like, hey, he said an hour and 15. And our sergeant pulled up. He's a friend of mine, you know. He's like, hey, did you get a dog? I'm like, yeah, state police is going to come. And he's like, uh, where's he at? I'm like, he's in Atlantic City. He's like, oh, fuck, how long till he gets here? I'm like, over an hour, but like, like an hour 15. He's like, how long are you on the stop for? I'm like, 20 minutes, 22 minutes. I'm like, so we have a two-hour mark. It says it in our case law. And he's like, all right. I'm like, bro, listen, it's already been documented. I called like nine other agencies. So we showed diligent pursuit. We're ready to rock and roll. Glenn's our last hope, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And he showed up. The dog hit. And we got, uh, you know, we, we, we had a, a really nice hit on that one. And Believe me, if somebody's on the side of the road and a dog is now in 15 minutes away and they're innocent, they're going to cave and give you consent on the fact that nobody wants to sit with the cops on the side of the road. If he's so steadfast, especially in a time where people like weren't knowledgeable and didn't hate the police as much as they do now and give us a hard time, I was like, he's loaded. And I, dude, he's doing every, every I mean, mm -hmm. every indicator I wanted. His criminal history was like a fucking Bible. And uh, we actually had a call from a narcotics division about 20 minutes before Glenn got there. And they were like, hey, who do you got out there? And we told the guy's name, like, he's a kilo dealer. I'm like, oh, no shit. So. That, that's awesome. So before we take our next break, um, I don't know if you're doing this uh, through the business or not, or if it's anything you even want to do, or if, if you are, what kind of a slippery slope, or if it isn't, is the expert witness side of the house. We you get asked to do that. Do you do it? We have one of our instructors is certified as an expert witness in narcotic trafficking and compartments. Um, it is a slippery slope. I, we have another instructor that she probably is an expert witness as a use of force. She just started her new program. Her name is Ellie Alfonso. It's called, I just named the program like two weeks ago. Let me see if I can get it right. I think it's uh, law, uh, no, use of force for the law enforcement professional. So it's an, it's a really good class. Um, I'm sure that some of them I've never really asked are experts in in hostage negotiation and court certified, but it just doesn't get brought up. And if they do that, that's on their own time and time. That has really nothing to do with our company. I mean, we strictly focus on on training, and it's hard for me to keep track of over 50 instructors. Like sometimes people call me, I'm like, "Yo, what's up?" And they're like, "Yeah, I'm in fucking Tulsa, right?" And I'm like, uh, "Oh yeah, what are you doing over there?" And they're like, "Oh, we got a class today." I'm like, "Oh, how many people do you have?" They're like, "Oh, we have 65 guys." I'm like, "That's fucking fantastic, bro. How was class?" You know. I just, I can't wear every single hat here and I just have to depend on people to be a little more self-sufficient. But as far as experts go, I haven't been asked to be an expert. I don't anticipate I would be asked to be an expert because of my demeanor um, in the sense that I kind of don't play the game well with like not saying things like the way they are. And that really frustrates mm -hmm. people a lot because everybody's being held accountable and I think a lot of people feel very insecure because they didn't think of this first and they wear fancy little fucking buttons on their uniforms. Yeah, we, um, so I, I, in 2005, I was involved. I got into a fight with a naked dude and he died. Oh, I remember telling uh, me the story. Yeah, I remember the story. So, yeah. In 08, in I got sued uh, in federal court and there was, their side had several 
expert witnesses, law enforcement, use of force, shills, and uh, of course, uh, medical doctors. Dude, they had, they had a little Austrian medical doctor who's really short. And when he came over, he had a thick Austrian accent. And when he came up to, to uh, swear, he did the Nazi it's amazing, dude. Signal. That was his fucking the way. <laughs> it's amazing. Every, like the jury chuckled. It was great. But we had a couple of use of force experts on our side. And I I always remember thinking it was like a two week trial. I remember thinking, yeah, I like our guys are good, but I bet for the money they would be good for the other guy. And then, you know what I mean? And they were cop. They had been former cops and and so I was kind of super bad taste in my mouth for that type of well, stuff. We don't have, and that's the thing. Yeah. We don't have guys doing defense work. We actually had a guy a while back. He wanted to be yeah. instructor for the company. He had the, he had the, he had the prerequisites, but he had been retired and he was doing defense work. And a lot of his defense work was actually hunt, like going after cops. And I was like, I can't have you here. I just can't. You've literally, you, you crossed the line. You can't come back. You, you took the fucking, you, you know, you, you, you took the bait brother. Because you saw five, six hundred bucks, and to you it was a lot of money, but you could never come back to this side now. And he would beg me. He's like, ah, it's not like that. I want to teach these guys how to avoid a guy like me. I'm like, no, dude. No, you're not fucking doing it. I'm not having you on this team. Which I just, I've never had to do it. And because you did, you know, you, you are now officially, you're not one of us anymore. You don't fucking sell out other cops. Like, right. a, a, and you're going to come teach them on this side. Yeah, there's a guy in Ohio that's got a, a pretty big kennel. Um, I'm not going to say his name on here. People can message me and I'll tell him uh, who has been traveling out of Ohio. Like secretly he goes like I got a, my phone rang one day. It was a number I didn't know. I think it was from Idaho, maybe or Utah. And I, I answer it and they go, hey, this is so and so canine officer. Blah, blah, blah. Do you know this guy? And I go, yeah. And he goes, do you have any idea why the fuck he would be in Idaho right now on uh, testifying on behalf of the defend defendant against the the canine use bob i'm like are you fucking kidding me dude what i don't even know and then come to find out that this is he's done this several times so um do you have anybody in oklahoma ted doing that bullshit with the with the nah, canines? Nah, our our guy uh, there's an attorney but he he didn't flip sides there's a guy that's in california um that comes into the comes into the 10th circuit um and he was on the idaho case that just happened about the dog touching the car thing and he was their expert witness and they didn't usually those guys lose though those those canine expert witnesses come usually lose the case well i mean i don't know did you hear that Uh, they interviewed me for that washington uh post or i'm sorry for the npr article that aired about about that and there was a case and i'm not going to mention the county because it's still ongoing but it's in central texas and uh this this witness from california alleged something and i basically told him that's not that's not at all what's going on here yeah. so either way no we don't have any in oklahoma that have flip sides that that list is fairly short that are any good, good anyway yeah. i mean shit the use of force expert guy the dog bite guy uh, i'll talk about him that richard i can't remember his last name starts with a p but he's the uh for anyone listening you ever get sued for use of force for a dog bite there's a guy that makes money from california he's the dog aggression expert his phd is animal behavior and just did it on aggression his study was on fucking hamsters. <laughs> His PhD was on golden hamsters, which are aggressive as fuck. I will give him that. But that's that's where he comes and testifies against you about your dog being aggressive because he studied hamsters. For a thousand bucks an hour he's making. So Yeah, hamsters. Fucking yeah. hamsters. 
We're going to go ahead and take our second break here. We come back. I want to uh, talk to Dennis about um, social media and giving your opinions about certain cases and and that type of stuff. And uh, we'll be right back. All right. We love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, they're also super smart and they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there, you know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tactical police canine training.com. You get on there under training the online course, but here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor canine supervisor course which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should right here online. Uh, the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers, proper deployment, effective allocation and utilization, as well as liability and the FLSA issues, which we know is where all the legal stuff comes from interdepartmental. Uh, the course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end. Uh, they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on tacticalpolicek9training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break for just a second and talk about Dogtra, one of our favorite sponsors. Uh, Dogtra's been committed for over 20 years to crafting dog training e-collars to perfect and precise fit and finish intuitive design and accountable performance the dogtra 1900s e-collar is one of my favorites and it demonstrates what they strive for an ultimate dog training tool that is durable dependable and designed for the most demanding conditions which i can attest to because i tear stuff up frequently my favorite is the 1900s black and the 1900s hands-free which i use all the time check it out at dogtra Dot com. Be sure to use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off any single item over 200 bucks. That includes the 1900 and the 1900 black. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. The mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in quality and innovative innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport. To exceed our customers' expectations and deliver on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. Not everything canine alone, guys. Dogs in general. If you train dogs, if you have a dog, everything you need for dog or canine, check out Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, rayallencanine.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high-quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of law the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, 
which I use quite a bit of canine inserts. Most of every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you, if you're not even have to be in law enforcement, I have several friends that are civilians that work lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too. So you got one that fits, you can do it. Uh, they also do contraband and animal control systems, just to name a few. So be sure to hit them up. The website is easy rider online. So that's the letter E the letter Z as in zebra rideronline.com. If you're looking for them on Instagram and Facebook, it's American aluminum accessories. Feel free to hit them up there too. So our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is Arno out, out at ALM uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALM canine equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already, already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size, maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out. ALM canine equipment.com and use the discount code WD radio for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's, it seems like it's an ever changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around and everything else. So the guys at horizon structure make this as easy as possible. Literally the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups and they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day and it's comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the winter time. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it or have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications that it's assembled, dropped off. Boom. You're ready to rock. Things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look horizon up at horizon structures spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels or give them a call 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. All right, everybody, we are back working dog radio broadcasting the bite with Dennis Benino from Street Cop Training, Street Cop Training Podcast, uh, the, the whole fucking thing. It's turned into uh, quite the juggernaut. You're, you guys are, uh, uh, I don't know if you've gotten consultant, but you guys are really good with uh, the reels and the way you do your social media. It's, it's super smart. Now, I'm one of these guys, and this is, this is like a, um, I don't know. It can go either way. I'm one of these guys. That if somebody calls me and asks my opinion about uh, like um, a law enforcement shooting or something, 
I I never I don't give my opinion um, right away until uh, uh, it all susses out because I wasn't there. Um, but today, for example, the verdict came out that um, the Scott Peterson guy down in Florida at the uh, uh, Marjorie Stoneman or whatever the name of that school was that hid for 40 minutes, you know, and didn't go in and address the shooter. He was uh, acquitted of charges today. We had uh, yesterday, I think it was, the San Antonio cops were charged, arrested and charged with murder. Um, where do you land on that, man? I'm sure people ask for your opinion, and you obviously love giving your opinion because I'm the same way on a lot of things. But how how dangerous can that be in the social media type? World? Just as dangerous as taking a political position publicly. So uh, anybody who runs a business here let me just be very very clear that you may feel a certain way you may have a flag on your car or in your basement that says something about brandon but it doesn't mean that it mixes into your business and you and if if that's uh not a big enough red flag and warning for you to keep your business and your political thoughts completely separate unless you're obviously a politician uh all you got to do is see Bud Light's $25 billion mistake. And they just went to a place that they will never come back from. And you just saw 50 or 60 years flush down the toilet on a decision of a few. Um, I don't know what you want to call them, but whatever, whoever made the decision cost that company $25 billion. If we can unpack how much money that is, that's $2,500, uh, $100 million. That's a lot of money and people are livid and they can't come back from that. So I uh, don't think it's my place to critique. Uh, I certainly take the position to defend when I know it to be true. And if I ever do give critiques, I try not to really air, uh, you know, the cops out. I try to talk about, we just had a video came out to follow our Instagram where in, uh, I think it was an Arizona state trooper was shot on a traffic stop. And I made a video recently of it, and it wasn't to make him feel bad. It was to remind people of what was done wrong so you can acknowledge it. And one of the worst things that I saw was the guy kept his tourniquet in his map pocket of his truck. So after he was shot in the leg, he had to hobble back to his truck to find his tourniquet in the map pocket. And this is a lot of time, and I think that he ends up losing a lot of blood. I don't know the ver what, the, what the final thing was. I'm pretty sure he lived, and I'm not trying to make light of the fact that somebody was shot. But then also at the end... Um, there's a lot of radio traffic and the guys trying to help him can't get on the air because everybody just wants to shut the fuck up. So these things I do to try to prevent this stuff for the future and hopefully admins and roll call and, and other guys can say, Hey, like, you know what? Maybe I shouldn't be talking on the radio this much. I don't need to call out every single detail on this disabled motor vehicle. I can probably just shut the fuck up, let them know where my location is, but then just call the rest in on a cell phone into headquarters or add notes through the MDT. So you know, I, I, I don't go to places where I can't. My job is to train people, not to give my opinion. My job is to train people. I give my opinions on why we have training failures and why people are exiting and what's wrong with this industry. But, uh, you know, I always tell people when they ask me, like, I don't have anywhere close to the amount of evidence that I need to, to cast judgment and, and nobody else should either. Yeah. And those, those, um, the body-worn cameras are fisheye. I mean, it, it's tough. Um, we were talking about it, or actually an episode of ours that came out today 
um, if you watch a can all canine handler videos where they're tracking a suspect and the, and the line is right in front of their uh, BWC, they look like they are the worst, suckiest leash handlers ever. But I never get on there and go, what the fuck are you doing with the leash? Because it's just the way you see it in, in the thing. Meanwhile, the, the dude's a fucking rock star, as far as you know. Um, do you get uh, people try to goad you into commenting or is it they just know it's a waste of time? I'm a pretty sharp dude. So, you know, you're not going to bait me into anything that I can't speak on confidently with facts backing me. And so the truth is my best friend. And if I don't know what the truth is, I can't argue something. And I won't. I refuse to get involved uh, until I at least, um, you know, maybe I take a different approach of like, hey, guys, we don't know all the facts yet. So let's all calm the fuck down. Or, you know, man, I, I try to emphasize that we need to, as human beings, have a lot more compassion than we actually have. Like, why did that happen? You know, we get guys, I've talked about this in the past, who, you know, guy you work with gets a DWI or a DUI, whatever you guys call it. And... They'll say, oh, this guy, you hear a fucking Joe got fucking busted drunk driving. He's fucked. They're going to fucking do him. Right? Like, everybody wants to fuck Joe over. But what if you found out that Joe just, I don't know, three hours before his DWI found out that he had terminal cancer, didn't know what else to do, where to put, or his kid died, or something significant happened in his life? Would you judge Joe differently? And the answer is, of course you would. But you're fucking judgmental ass didn't give the guy a chance to try to explain how he ended up in a situation like that. And you're also a hypocritical piece of shit because you've done it 68 times before, but you, your ass just never got caught. So like, let's not fucking cast judgment when we don't know what the fuck we're looking at until we know everything about something. It's funny <laughs> use that as an example, because uh, we had a couple of guys in my department that were like rock and rolled on the, on the job. And then they got a, a DUI, got a crash or whatever DUI dude. The one guy had like four years on. He's still there. Twenty four years later, uh, he went into shutdown mode after he got in tr got himself in trouble, which happens a lot with guys like they're fucking living by the seat of their pants, doing law enforcement, doing shit off duty with whatever. They get caught, they get in trouble, shut down. Twenty five years of being a miserable prick because they got themselves in trouble. Uh, I see it with DUIs. Uh, guys get those um, because and listen. Uh, DUI is not smart. It's not a good thing to do. It will not, um, if you guy, some places, I guess it would ruin your career. You just got, you got things you got to work on. I, I think at that point. Um, so what's the future look like for street cop training? This may sound insane, but I'm trying to fix the whole fucking thing. Like the whole thing has got to get fixed and I'm probably going to spend my lifetime trying to fix it. Uh, and, and you know, like, listen, to my detriment, sometimes my delivery is a little abrasive, uh, but it's how I communicate. And I think it's why we have the following that we have, because I have the courage to say the things that need to be said. And, and believe me, I pay, I pay, I pay for it. But at the same time, I also don't forget about all the men and women out there who message me and thank me for the work that we're doing. So it sometimes comes off like I'm very cocky and confident and full of myself. And the reality is, is I'm probably one of the most humble and you know, I just I do have confidence, but I am certainly not somebody who's a narcissist or doesn't care for others. And for me, I can ignore a lot of that noise, knowing what the value is of the work and efforts that we're putting in, not just for law enforcement, but for the world. And it's super important. And as long as everybody continues to show up for this job, I will continue to show up to support them and give them the guidance and training that they need and deserve, because 
for anybody who's a cop listening to this, you have done something wonderful for the world that is so selfless that you basically do it for sometimes 15 bucks an hour, sometimes $21 an hour. And just so we're clear, that is nothing. You are basically poor. So your why is important and the world appreciates you much more than you think they do. And stop and just stop listening to the less than 1% of this world that shits on cops, but makes big headline news. Those people should not dissuade you from having the pride in the work that you do because it's very, very important. And my hat's off to all of you who continue to do it in a world that sometimes seems like it's very harsh. But the reality is it's, it's just a little more exposed. It's always been this harsh. So I, uh, I just want to say thank you to everybody. And we will do our best in my lifetime to make it better for you. And I'm just new at this and trying to figure it the fuck out. But I promise you, all of us at Street Cop Training spend an ungodly amount of our awakened hours and sometimes sleeping hours trying to figure this shit out and uh, and standing up for you and being a voice for you. So and, and we're, we're glad to do that. And it, it fucking sucks at times because I get my fucking teeth kicked in. But it's worth it. Yeah, and I don't think you can do anything to help the Chicago guys. Fucking no, they're Chicago done. They should just all leave. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Yep. So real quick, before we check out, so I'm, I, I go to my department, and I got 10 things that we really fucking need training on and like just i picked 10 even though it's the, the place is terrible and the and the chief says i only got the budget for two two things what am i sending them to a street cop what are the just like you guys gotta fucking do this i think no matter what you can pick things that fit this category and our top priority as law enforcement is to not die and to preserve others lives so that's always everybody's top priority. That's where you need to start. And then we can move on from there. But, you know, what good is case law if you're dead? Uh, and then I, I, I really have to believe that. I don't know if I put anything in front of anything else. There's certainly some things that are a little more of an, uh, a side dish than a, than a main course. But I think that if I had to go from there, it's how not to die. Case law and understanding criminal behavior and what that looks like so those three things are paramount to every cop but number one and we should i would argue that we should spend as much time as possible in the academy on maybe even solely this and there's a there's a combination of things that would achieve that but it's how not to die that's our top priority for watching videos of cops getting killed what they did wrong critiquing it what they did right um learning a lot about brazilian jiu-jitsu and police actual you know, tactics that work. And, and, uh, you know, once we get that stuff licked where we know how to handle things safely, I think that probably rolling into case law and actually understanding criminal behavior and then to follow up, like interview and interrogation is good for everybody. Leadership is paramount. I would actually argue that most police academies could run YouTube videos on leadership from those who teach it in a professional field, um, and still have a better graduating class than they would on the regular program the state has set up for their boxes to be checked. And uh, I'd like to be able to prove that theory one day. Yeah, that uh, I think, I don't know that you get a, you'll probably get a master's degree in that. You can, uh, your theorem, you could probably prove it. Um, <laughs> one thing just came up. You ever, from back in like 08, 07, you ever, could you ever project and see this cops getting prosecuted for shit? Like, there, there's some states in some areas there. They try to prosecute dudes now for fucking everything, everything. I think you're pretty wild to work under a liberal uh, political government. And 
I honestly can't figure out why people do, but I think it's the same reason why people stay in bad relationships. I think overall humans are fearful of change and they'd rather roll the dice. And so that lack of decision in your profession can cost you very, very significant consequences, just as it can in a relationship that evolves into a marriage followed by a divorce. Um, these are really, really significant things you have to take control of in your life and and account for the possibilities of things not working out. Why do people get married when they're not supposed to get married? I, I think they just don't. I think they just don't want change. And this is what they know. And they figure they can just deal with it. And it's even worse when you're fucking 38. You got three kids. And now you are fucking ready to kill each other. And you now you're going through a divorce, losing half your stuff. But if you would have just had the gall and the bravado and the bravery to say, you know what, this this isn't going to work. I'm actually going to go back and endorse some more pain looking for the person that I'm supposed to be with. Just like moving to another police agency because they're afraid of like they don't want to turn in their tack vest or this one doesn't have a four on four off. There are three on three off and they have Saturdays, you know, so like. At some point, you're going to pay the piper for your for your bad decisions. And when you're in a shitty relationship, whether it's personal or professional, and you do not make moves, the consequences just might be dire. And I don't think you have to go pretty far to figure out uh, what it feels like to be an NYPD police officer, Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., Chicago. To be a cop there, you're, you're completely out of your fucking mind. Because there is now, there are just tons of options from agencies that pay more and support the police in a community that would not allow the prosecution with a government that would not allow the prosecution of cops. You know, I know for a fact, there are a couple guys that have told me off the beaten, like off camera and off the record that like, they're going to get pardoned by their governor. If the district attorney was forward to charge them, the governor's already called them and told them that I want to work there. Yeah, that's pretty good. All right. Last question. Are there any case laws that you know of that say that tattoo policies are unconstitutional or illegal? <laughs> Look at Ted and I. I tell everybody, as we know, tattoo policies are ridiculous. But some people think that there's like a case out of Chicago and some other thing that says it's you can't do it. You're not serious, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, pe people have said that like. I think it's a, I think it was like went through court somewhere that you can't have a tattoo policy. I, I will just talk on tattoos for a second. A, yeah, I'll talk yeah, about tattoos about just for maybe 20 seconds. I know of an agency that is down 600 men and women, 600 police officers, and they probably have 2,000 fantastic candidates who can't get qualified because they have arm tattoos for these morons at the top. Mm -hmm. How dare you take the romance of the past and what you think is appropriate and prevent your state from being protected because you are stuck in your ways. You need to fucking leave and make way for progression in this profession, you stupid fucks. And I cannot believe that your hire, uh, people that you answer to, have not removed your asses faster than shit um, because I think you are just complete idiots and i want to say that the utmost degree like you're down 600 people and you have a policy that you can't have tattoos but you have all these people who'd be fantastic cops but they can't because they decided at 21 when they served the marine corps they're going to get some fucking arm tattoos you you, you guys are just on another level of stupidity and i want you to know that from me to you yeah and um i think i think if they 
deep down looked at it, if you could get the agency to put in writing that they passed on you because of your appearance, eh, I think they could have some legal problems there. Um, cause I have a buddy of mine that's going through it right now. Cause he has some tattoos in this. Several agencies have told him flat out, we're not hiring you because mm, of the way you I like look. It. Eh, I don't. Yeah. I, I told him I should, you should probably talk to somebody about that, but all right, Ted, anything else? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I, I, I was trying to think about some of the cases, and when the tattoo thing came up, I was like, "Oh, here we go." Threw you off. <laughs> no, I, I, I could see where it was going, and I've said a version of the same thing. I was like, "And I've we've done some seminars um, where dudes have had more tattoos than us." And it's a lot. I have like, my whole body done, so you you got to have we, a lot to get. Let's see all of it. Let's just take it all off. Take it all off. Yeah, that ain't happening. I had a dude at, uh, at, an, at a seminar that was in a fairly progressive place, and he had a big ass neck tattoo. And um, I was like, "How did you get away with that?" He was like, "Religious exemption." I'm like, what "Religion okay. is that?" He's okay. like, "The one I am." I was like, "Oh, <laughs> oh well played, yeah. <laughs> well played." It, I, <laughs> I was like, "Nice, <laughs> Dennis." You want to plug the socials real quick? I mean, anywhere you go, put in Street Cop Training, you'll find us. We're there. Yep. Website's got everything you need on it. Streetcop.com. Um, yeah, streetcop.com. You can find everything you need. Um, you guys, I, I put a lot of thought and care into the programs that we teach. And if somebody is wearing the logo on their shirt and teaching a program for us, I promise you, you're going to feel like you stole it from us because of the value you're going to receive and the enjoyment it's going to bring to you in class. You're going to have a fucking blast and pretty much level up your career pretty rapidly and that's not a sales pitch that takes a lot of patience to come up with programs that deliver that kind of impact i honestly probably have no social media and would still have just as many people uh, as we do in training courses on word of mouth alone so ask your fucking friends who've taken proactive patrol in all our other classes what they think about street cop training not not your one fucking friend who like goes out and writes six books a ticket a day and hammers the fuck out of people and ruins every cop's fucking reputation in the world. I'm talking about ask your friends who are cops, who are real cops about our company, what they think about our, our programs. I love it. I like that. It's a good pitch. So, all right, man, I'm at van S canine.com. Uh, man, don't even go to my website. It sucks. Just go uh, follow <laughs> me on Instagram. <laughs> van S canine, um, working underscore dog, underscore radio for the podcast, working dog radio.com. We have a, some really good t-shirts ted and i just came up with a couple new t-shirt designs that they're running a test on now uh when those come out those will those will do pretty well but uh ted where are you at uh torchlight canine letter k number nine on pretty much everything uh same thing on instagram ted underscore summers on instagram and then uh hrd police canine letter k number nine on instagram and uh, we got those seminars pretty much booked up through the rest of the year so sweet uh no room for those but yeah that's where we're at cool dennis it's been a blast i appreciate it glad you had a good night to stand outside you got your reasons i got my wants still got that feeling but i'm too old to die young now. 
Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.